Welcome to the Ashtray Podcast. I'm your co-host, Austin Mills. And I'm your co-host, Nick Conley. Uh, our special guest today, we have Bob Klotz. Hello. And Eric Rodriguez. Hello. And we have some cool stuff to give away at the end of this episode. So if you're interested in that, you should keep listening. You should keep listening anyways. Eric, you're pretty good at this game. Everybody knows who you are. You're definitely a household name. Like, everybody in America knows who John Goodman is, who Donald Trump is, who Eric Rodriguez is. So uh, it's really an honor to have you here on our podcast. Uh, thanks. But I'm the Donald Trump of ashes? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me, though. Yeah. And, and Bob, we've had you on before. It's been quite a while. Yep, schedules get in the way sometimes. So anyways, today what we're going to be talking about is Leo and Victoria, and we're not really going to go through card by card, um, talking about, you know, what each card does and everything like that, because everybody already knows what they do at this point, and the main action already talked about that. We're just going to talk about different cards and their place in the meta, and how they've affected the game as a whole, and things of that nature. All right. Nick, do you want to go into what you've been playing recently? Yeah, for sure. I've been playing this Lulu deck I've been working on for a little bit. It's predominantly a burn deck, because um, Phoenix Barrage is a pretty good card. And I've found that this deck is having surprisingly good results against a Bears and Hammer Knight-style deck. Uh, quick rundown of what we got. We got Gilders, Owls, Butterflies, Chain of Revenge as a spellboard. And then a full suite of burn, we got Phoenix Barrages, Molten Gold, Sympathy Pains, Final Cries. I have some Remorses in here that I'm trying out as well. And then other important cards are Regress and Blood Chains to slow down the opponent from attacking. So anytime they play a Bear or Hammer Knight, you hit him with a Regress or a Phoenix Barrage or a Blood Chains, whatever you got. And that should slow, th- slow them down enough to where you can just close out the game with burn. Uh, Lulu's 21 life is really impressive and makes it so she does not fall to other high damage output decks really quickly. And yeah, there's just plenty of burn, so you're going to kill him eventually. How useful is Bolster, or do you find yourself not really attacking? I didn't plan on using Bolster at all, but usually I get one good Bolster in every attack, or sorry, every game, and... Bolster will get you an extra 3-4 damage. It's not unreasonable, for sure. Awesome. So you're mostly playing her for the 21 life and Phoenix Barrage. Yeah, Phoenix Barrage is awesome. Have you found it more useful than Fear, just because it does the additional 2 damage? Is that worth 3 dice, though? I wouldn't call it more useful than Fear, but it's certainly a great card. It slows down the opponent, and it advances your win condition. That's a good card to me. And the rest of your cards are pretty cheap. Summoning uh, all your Gilders and Butterflies. It doesn't take a lot of dice, so you usually can afford a Phoenix Barrage whenever you draw one. It gets a little bit more difficult in later rounds when you're starting to draw some of the bigger burn cards like Molten Gold or Sympathy Pain. But, mm-hmm. yeah, super impressive card. I really so recommend I, trying it I out. guess my question to you is, is the deck just better out of Jessa? Because you're missing 3 life, and of course you get Fear instead of Phoenix Barrage, and... Comboed with Screams, then you have a one-mana Fear, which does one damage, so you're doing half the damage for only a third of the cost. 
Yeah, I think the most notable part about this deck over it just being an Jessa deck is the fact that you can use Phoenix Barrage on a Hammer Knight. It's one of the problems with Jessa is if you use Fear on a Hammer Knight, you're not really solving the problem. You're just saying they get three less dice per round, but you're not actually killing the Hammer Knight, which is really important. Phoenix Barrage does kill the Hammer Knight and does burn to them, and it lets you save your Molten Golds to go face, because a uh, thing I do in Jessa a lot is use Molten Gold to kill a Hammer Knight, just because it's a clean way to do it, and then they lose any value, uh, since they don't get to attack with the Hammer Knight before you kill it with a Molten Gold. Sure, and then you've spent two dice, and they've spent three. Yep. So you're kind of eking out an advantage that way. Winning. <laughs> uh, have you been playing Jessa at all? Oh yeah, I play plenty of Jessa. She's my favorite. I've been making some tweaks to the deck in recent days. I have went back to Chan of Revenge, which is a card that is phenomenal with Butterfly Monks. If you have a couple of Butterfly Monk spells out and a couple of Chan of Revenges, it makes attacking with a beater unit like a Hammer Knight or a Bear really, really uncomfortable because you can always hit them with the, with the unit guard. And when the butterfly dies, not only are you healing, but you can trigger the Chain of Revenges or Final Cry if you have it to remove their threats. It just makes attacking a really sticky situation. So I'm back on Chain of Revenge, really enjoying that card. And it has one of my favorite functions of a card in Ashes, which is the ability to pivot. So Jess is all about getting board control early in the game, whether it's fear or using Molten Gold to clear away bigger units. Chain of Revenge can also be used to clear away units. But when you're getting later in the game and you're ready to go for the win, you can just turn Chain of Revenge into some more burn damage. Uh, yeah, I know I've been working on Jessa as well, and we, we've been talking about this a lot. So I, I've been playing a lot of Elliot's Coal deck, which is a, a ton of fun, and uh, obviously Jessa a lot as well. And some of the changes that I've been toying with was I've added a single Dispel as an answer to Regress, just because I got hosed so badly at Gen Con by Matt. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I've been thinking about Dispel myself, too. The thing that has me most concerned about it is it shuffles the Regress back into the deck, and against uh, Matt's Leo deck, that takes a game so long, you know they're going to draw it again, so I'm just afraid if um, shuffling the card back in is going to be worth the Dispel slot, which can very well be a dead draw in a lot of matchups. Have you got much testing in with it? Not a ton, just a few games in. Uh, but it's it it's pretty good as a as a one of, because um, you can always first five tech it to protect your your first five hammer knight, because uh, then they're definitely taking forward at the face, because their only answer to it is their first five regress, and once you send that regress back into their deck, they're kind of out of luck. Very cool. I also agree with putting Chain of Revenge back in the deck, and removing Chant of Protection. I've been kind of dissatisfied with yep. it. Got rid of that card. Chant of Protection was really good when Brennan was a big thing because the amount of burn damage that they were throwing at you, it was coming in really fast, so you sometimes needed that Chant of Protection to survive one more round. But in these slower decks with Leo and Glowfinch, of course, and the Three-Eyed Owl, discarding a card to play another card to get you three life really isn't going to be enough. You know you're going to go into that fatigue damage, so really spending two cards to gain three is simply not enough. Right. Eric, what have you been playing recently? Nah, nothing. I've been on vacation the last two weeks, so I actually haven't played any Ashes at all since 
um, Gen Con. Well, I mean, leading up to Gen Con, you weren't sure what you were going to be playing, so what had you been playing oh. before you decided on Cole? Okay, uh, leading up to Gen Con, um, I guess I was playing a lot of, I was playing a bunch of different Victoria decks when the cards were being previewed, and then, uh, after all the cards were previewed, uh, Papa Pratt showed me this Rin build that was a modified version of BDR, um, that had Shadow Spirits in it, and it was really, I mean, it was doing a lot of work, I, I liked it a lot, um, and that's what I was gonna play, until I played against C's deck, um, and just really couldn't do anything. So C's uh, Leo deck. Yeah, it was an earlier. Card? Yeah, it was an earlier version of it, but um, I was running into that issue where I was like, "Well, you kind of get stuck against um, against doves." So um, pretty quickly, I realized that this just wasn't gonna work out. Um, then I started playing a Leo deck that was different from C's or um, Matt's. It was more of a... It was actually more similar to BDR with a with a burn pivot with chance of revenge. But um, that's what I was going to play. Um, but that I just didn't... I didn't really feel... I didn't really like playing Leo. Um, it just came out of taste. I just didn't really enjoy playing him. So... Um, <laughs> at Gen Con, uh, basically the night before the tournament started, uh, it was Elliot, Papa Pratt, uh, Christian and I, and we were just there for like, uh, the entire day on, uh, oh, what day was that? Thursday? Was the day before the, no, Friday. Friday is the day before the tournament. Oh, Thursday was the day before. Thursday. Thursday, the day before the tournament, we just spent like, basically the whole day after we, we went to the Rage of the Ashes booth, or to the Plat Hat booth, bought the expansions, Walked around a little bit in the exhibitor hall just to look around and then just started playing games. Um, and so Elliot was like, whoa, well, I like this, this cold idea that Christian had brought along. So, um, Elliot just started playing that one and he played that one all day. Um, and Christian and I were not sure what we wanted to play and we're like, we can't play cold when we got 15 lines. There's no way we can do that. Christian wanted to play Jessa, so he was trying out his Jessa deck. Um, I, w- I was like, okay, I'm going to go through try this Leo deck, I'm going to try this Rin deck, I'm going to try, I tried a bunch of things, I played a Brennan deck, um, and what's funny is that this whole time, we're playing against Elliot, who's playing this Cole deck, so we're actually running him through, like, a gauntlet of decks at the same time that we're doing this, that we're trying to figure out our decks, um, so we got a lot of practice in with that, and it kind of, that's part of the reason we were convinced, because near the end there, we were like, well, this Cole deck is actually doing really well, um, so maybe it's possible. We still weren't convinced at the end of the night. We were still, uh, we weren't sure we wanted to commit to Cole. Um, Jason actually came by and played a couple of games with us too that day. Um, cause he was going through whether he wanted to play a Victoria deck or if he was going to play, uh, the Leo deck that he settled on eventually. So it was just, I just remember Thursday was pretty hectic. A lot of games being played. Uh, took a strike break for a while and then just went back to freaking out, not sure what deck to be, to play. Elliot was certain that he was going to play that cold deck. Christian and I kind of left completely unsure. And then the next morning, the, like the morning of while we're there, trying to submit deck lists, we're like, hey, Elliot, let's, like, can we see your deck list? <laughs> so we're just <laughs> like, we're going to play this slight modification. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. Cool. 
Bob, what about you? You've been playing Auric, right? Well, the only one that I've uh, played with with current cards is Orc, Yeah, it's what I played at uh, at uh, Gen Con, and it it needed some tuning. But the basic idea of the deck is, uh, I think it was four charm, three illusion, two uh, nature, and one ceremonial, and it tries to leverage basic costs on a heavy spellboard that tries to do damage over the top. So uh, you just play one Gobi Sunshield because it's too much of an investment to put uh, more than one in. And surprisingly enough, uh, Gobi is a pretty decent uh, card to discard to Owls. So uh, you only take two damage to bring it back, and it's still got board presence when you put it down. Um, but uh, unfortunately, the Gobi doesn't really have board... Or doesn't. It isn't quite there without help, so you need to run a couple of uh, alterations in order to make him, uh, you know, do the work that he needs to do. But uh, beyond the Gobi, and uh, I was running one Crystal Shield and one Spiked Armor, uh, because being able to counter and do four damage without exhausting uh, while guarding a unit seemed like it was interesting enough to me to try. Uh, but beyond that, I was running uh, Orchid Doves and Frostbites and Chant of Revenge and Owls for the spell bo- spellboard. And then I was running a Singleton Seal because I thought that uh, there was going to be other people trying to leverage uh, Chant of Revenge, which is great in a meta where, you know, the boards tend to gum up. Um, and then uh, Sympathy Pains, uh, Redirects, Chokes. But uh, I ended up losing to three decks at uh, Gen Con with uh, with this orc. But it was, it was definitely interesting enough to uh, to try and tune when I eventually get around to to playing games for fun instead of testing. So who ended up earning their Beat Bob badges at Gen Con? C uh, got his Beat Bob. Uh, Christian Pratt got his uh, Beat Bob, and Jason Perret got his. Beat Bob as well. Perry. Perry. Yeah. I, I told him we would happily give him a shout out on the podcast if he would tell me how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he told me at Gen Con. I'm just a terrible person because I can't remember names for anything. It's because he's not on Team Ashtray, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know that I would be very sold on a card if the best praise you can give it is, oh, it's a great target to discard to Three-Eyed Owl. Well, that's a that's a that was a thing at Gen Con. Having the cards to discard to Owl made a huge difference. Any deck needs to be able to deal with multiple different archetypes, and uh, the Gobi with spiked armor deals with Hammer Knight really well. That is super cool. I haven't been playing a ton of Ashes recently. Just a few games with Cole and Jessa. Nick and I have a big Ashes project that we're working on that we will be talking about in our next episode. And uh, Netrunner Worlds is coming up soon, so I'm kind of shifting back into Netrunner mode for a little bit, getting ready for that. Um, So what are some of the biggest cards that made an impact in the new meta? I think it's pretty clear that Leo is one of the greatest cards of the next expansion, seeing as he took first and second at the Gen Con tournament. Leo certainly must be doing something right. I think Shadow Spirit as well was pretty much as big as we thought it was going to be. 
everyone's prediction was that it was going to basically be the next Frostback Bear. And uh, I, I really think it rivals Frostback Bear in terms of popularity, um, at least from what I saw. Eric, you ran the Shadow Spirit in your coal deck. How did you see it perform? Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. It was in, like I said, I was playing with it a lot in the Rin deck I was using, um, practicing with before the tournament. Um, and it's just a fantastic card. It's so good at, I mean, to attack for one die is, is fantastic. And it was really fun in Rin because you only needed one book, um, cause you could give the Shadow Spirit to life with Ice Buff. So that was a lot of fun. Um, it wasn't that squishy. I, l- I like that a lot. And before you even, um, before you even focus it, it has no downside at all. Illusion doesn't matter until it has two life. And because right. you're an illusion and, like, you might have shifting mists or hidden power, things like that, the fact that it costs a power die really isn't much of a problem either. So it's basically just a 2-1 for one die. Right. You figure if someone's going to get rid of it, they're going to have to spend a die. So it's as if you spent your power wolf to exhaust that die, right? More or less, yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not against Jessa. When you summon a Shadow Spirit, do you feel like you have to attack with them really soon? Or else they might lose their value just getting pinged away or something? Um, Obviously their 2 attack is one of their strongest traits to them. But did you feel like they have to attack really quickly after summoning them in order to do anything with them? Uh, not really. I mean, you can kind of use them two ways. You can use them as little kamikaze bombs that just run into things and blow them up. Um, or you can, like, what the cold deck was doing was just building a board with them. So you just put them out, put them out, put them out. Like I said, if they kill it, they're usually spending a die. So it's as if that power um, illusion was used to exhaust, so it's not a, that big of a deal. You kind of uh, wasted one of their resources, or made them. You forced them to use up one of their resources, and you just the the fact that they're so cheap that they're one die for two attack is the big thing. If you get two of those books out, then you can spend two dice to put out um, to threaten four damage to the Phoenixborn, which is great. One of my favorite things about playing Shadow Spirit was uh, that they're really good at running into Hammer Knights and Frostback Bears. Because um, you can just send one at him and you don't care if it dies because you only paid a die on it. And then you can ping with a natural die or a gilder uh, right. to remove it. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much whatever a Shadow Spirit hits is going to be something good. I imagine that uh, cheap unit garters like gilder or butterfly monk are one of the more uncomfortable things for them to run into. But still, it's one die for one die at that point. Hitting anything with two attack, whatever it hits is really powerful. Yeah, Butterfly is probably the worst trait. It's probably the, like, the biggest um, counter to a Shadow Spirit because you're going to run into it and it's going to kill you, but they're going to heal one. So it's, it's probably like the worst thing you want to see like, when you're running Shadow Spirits. Right, like oh, you're just giving your opponent value. Yep. God forbid they get their Butterflies up to three life and not even <laughs> killing it. <laughs> yeah, double-focused... Uh, Butterfly Monks can be one of the most frustrating board states to play against. Yeah. Just the worst. It's like seeing three chance. The dream. So, another card that really popped up a lot was Regress. And we'll talk more about how a lot of old cards changed. And and some old favorites that are popping back up. But I really didn't see... I saw close to zero Regress since Brennan and Ren dropped until Leo and Victoria, and then this 
the strategy kind of emerged that you don't need to attack and you can regress things to slow them down. And I think it was just a card that wasn't really explored to its fullest potential until recently. And so I, I think Dispel, we might see some of that uh, floating around in some decks because it's a direct counter to regress. So like Hammer Knight Bear type decks out of Jessa. I can't wait to see the other half of Dispel's function come into play more. If it hits a Chanter Protection, that's got to be one of the coolest moments ever. You're spending one basic to deal two damage to a Phoenixborn. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, as we were talking about earlier with our Jessa decks, we have been cutting Chanter Protection because it is so bad against Fatigue-style decks with Three-Eyed Owl that you might not ever get to see your Dispels hit Chanter Protections the way the game currently is. And I think the only card worth answering with Dispel is probably Regress. I don't think there's any other alteration besides maybe Amplify in the right environment that's high impact enough that it's a must deal with right now. And of course you can't target um, Massive Growth with it. That's right, Massive Growth does have Spell Guard, Magic Guard. I don't know the difference between those names. I think it's Spell Guard. Bob, what's the difference? Spell guard goes on spells, magic guard goes on units. Was that an intentional design choice? Yes. Naming them two different things? Okay. Sorry, I was just going to jump in on this, this spell regress discussion. Um, regress, uh, I mean, people were some people were playing it back before Leo and uh, Vic came out, but the, the problem I saw, um, I never really worried too much if they regressed me. It did suck to get a regress on a Hammer Knight. But, I mean, the way you were winning before was either going to swing in or, or burn directly. So, um, you, you still have kind of a, you're still vulnerable, um, in ways that the discard approach is not, uh, that Leo is not. Because when you're, when you regress and you're saying, I'm not going to go for burn when I'm not going to go for, um, attacking when I'm going to go for an exhaustion sort of, uh, you're going to take damage on the draw, that means that you're okay with um, waiting for that long game, and you're okay, you don't have to kind of make desperate plays, and you also are attacking their resources when you attack their hand um, with those owls, so they you kind of limit the options. Before you were regressing, and then, well, I'm just going to play burn for my hand, so you're kind of running out of options, you're kind of running out of answers if you're going for burn directly, while the other player is getting to keep all their their answers and their responses to regress, so it wasn't as effective. The and the problem I had with dispel because I did consider dispel a lot. I'm like, well, if you can dispel regress when that player is counting on regress to stop a hammer knight round one, then you know maybe you can really upset their plans. Problem with doing that against Leo is that Leo basically has a first six um, because of the Finch. So if you pick a dispel. To get rid of regress, you're still you're still down um, a card, and that's that's also part of the problem with like saying, "Well, I'm going to pick choke to stop the Finch round one." Well, if you pick choke, you have four cards. Leo has five. You stop the Finch, but you're you're down a card. So it's actually really rough. Um, I I was trying to come up with good first fives to use where the spell makes sense against Leo, and most of the time it's just it's really tough to give up that bad uh, card slot in your hand. Right, especially in Jessa where you have to, most matchups you have to just take fear. That's a given, so then you, you have pretty limited options to pick from. And then you have Frostback Bear and Hammer Knight, and then 
your first five basically picks itself. Right. And it, it gets really, it gets really rough, it gets really tight. And then you kind of have to ask the question, well, am I taking the spell whenever I see ceremonial charm mixture? Um, and if they don't play regress on you, then you, you kind of have a dead card in your hand. Right, yeah, it's, it's very liable to mess you up if you make a, if you misread their first five. Right. Another thing, too, is Dispel doesn't answer Blood Chains, so if they decide to start Blood Chains to, uh, you know, pop their, their Glowfinch after they've already, uh, decoyed something, then your Dispel is just sitting in your hand, too. The mind games are so strong there. Do you bring the Blood Chains thinking they're not gonna bring Choker Ice Trap to stop your Finch, or do you just bring the Regress? and hope they don't bring a dispel. There's a really cool idea that Papa Pratt turned me on to at Gen Con, and we can talk about that a little later um, when we talk about some of the, the decks ideas that we've come up with that we haven't really played around yet. Uh, but it uses it uses Blood Chains and Small Sacrifice and Glowfinch to totally lock down their battlefield in the first round. I love hearing anything that's talking about Small Sacrifice. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh so Orca Dove is another card uh that we saw a lot of uh in the charm heavy decks. And I didn't think it was going to be so played because I uh, figured that Jessa would still be everywhere and Jessa loves one life units of course. But and of course you just don't play it against Jessa and there really wasn't a huge amount of Jessa. There were none in the top 8. So I I did see a surprising amount of Orchid Dove. And it did a lot of work against me. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things about the Orchid Dove that we saw in Matt's winning deck was that he didn't rely on it. He could choose to pivot it out for the Dreadwraith and other matchups. He mentioned against Jessa and against Cole, he would not bring the Orchid Dove and instead bring a Dreadwraith. So I think it's really cool that if your deck allows to have that pivot function... Orchid Doves can be really great in the matchups that they will be good in, and you can just forget about them in the matchups where they'd be bad. Right, yeah. So what matchups do you think the Orchid Dove is really good against? So again, both Jessa and Cole are very battlefield-heavy focused, and you would think Orchid Dove would be a good counter to that, considering its ability increases the costs of attacking, but both of them have either great ping damage or punish low-life units. So what would a type of deck have to look like for Orchid Dove to be really good against it? I think a Weenies deck, Orchid Dove could do a lot of work against, um, like a, a Miss Spirit, Shadow Spirit, Swarm type of deck, where you're going to be attacking a lot, things like that, because, I mean, you want to get in, you want to get the most value out of your Orchid Doves every round, and the more times they are going to be attacking you every round, obviously the more value you're going to get out of that ability. I think any any deck that uh looks to win by by attacking. So for instance, Hammer Knight uh does ping off an Orchid Dove, but you have to pay that that basic cost before you can ping it off. So anything that's looking to win by attacking, the Orchid Dove is going to have some value against. Well, I think it has the most value in decks that are going to attack more than once because if you're only going to attack once, it's only costing you one die for that whole attack. It's not one die per unit. And you might as well just use that die to kill it, 
because one ping damage costs one die from Frostbite or Gilder or a Nature die or whatever. Yeah, uh, so the most annoying way for someone to play Orchid Dove is um, you try and buff it as soon as it comes out. Um, that's extremely annoying when you're a deck that wants to um, swing in to win because <laughs> you got this two-life unit now, especially with Leo. If Leo has a, a Finch protecting it too, now that Dove is um, extremely difficult to get rid of. Um, so you're it, it forces you to... Normally, you, you like to kind of split your attacks up um, so that you can kind of force your opponent to make re, uh, to make uh, reactions to use. Then you can adjust your tactics accordingly. Um, but Orchid Duck kind of forces, in that situation, kind of forces an all-in, like a, a one-type-of-swing scenario, which usually um, is not great when you're playing against things like Owls and Doves, which are really cheap. Because if you swing all-in, you kill everything, then they can just, okay, I'm going to pump stuff back out for cheap and then the board's full again and you're you're exhausted yeah i think that's a really interesting point where decks that have so many cheap conjurations now are able to create such a persistent board state that attacking can become a really difficult situation not to mention the additional costs that orchid dove brings to it so eric as the creator of bdr how do you think an orchid dove would do against a rin type deck rin obviously doesn't have the ping damage potential that Cole does, although both those decks seem to have a lot of similarities in terms of their win conditions and the cards that they use in their deck. So do you think Rin might have a particularly hard time against a bunch of Orchid Doves? Only only if there's Finches with them. Um, otherwise, not really. Um, okay. I, yeah, I think it's... I mean, Orchid Doves are annoying, and the most annoying part about the Doves is when it gets focused once. Um... It only costs a single basic die to put out, which means it's <laughs> pretty much impossible to um, color to like exhaust to use illusion dice to exhaust away their um, options to play those units. They can play it. They, you, they're going to be putting out those doves. They'll always have some way to play it. Right. And that's probably the most annoying part about the doves when they get focused. Um, really, the finch is the biggest. Um, like finch protecting a, a dove is extremely difficult. Um, for Rin, especially since the BDR style deck likes to meditate a lot, um, and it kind of forces more meditations. And Bob, a question for you. So Orchid Dove, we've talked about a lot of ways it can be really powerful against decks, but how do you think a deck could utilize this to actually advance its win condition? Is Orchid Dove solely a support card, or is there a potential for it to advance a win condition? Well, I think uh, Orchid Dove can also uh, be used towards the end of the game if you can get it triple focused, which, uh, you know, the, once you get it sec- focused a second time, it reduces the amount of times you have to meditate. Also, cards like uh, Shifting Mist can uh, reduce the amount of times you have to meditate, which increases the amount of times you tr- get to triple focus it. And once you've, uh, you get into that, uh, you know, both players have exhausted their decks, it can also start dealing damage to uh, advance your win condition. Very cool. So if you happen to get so late into the game as players are taking fatigue damage, maybe summoning the Orchid Doves gives you a bit of a final push to get that last bit of damage in before they can finish you off. Right. Yeah, definitely. And to add on to, to Bob there, I mean, Orchid Doves can actually push damage by attacking since their ability is inexhaustible. Um, if your opponent's out of dice, then you know that you can kind of attack their exhausted units 
um, with no uh, responses from your opponent, which is also pretty um, good way to kind of sneak in a couple of hits here and there. Well, while that is very true, I've not seen situations where I had orchid doves alive at the end of a round. Um, That's because you're not trying hard enough, Bob. I, you're not. <laughs> you're not playing Finch. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like I said, if you put out a dove and you and you um, charm buff it immediately, then it's a two-two, and there's a finch there to protect it. Now, when you swing at it uh, with it at something that's um, exhausted and your opponent's on a dice, well, that they choose between taking two damage or losing a unit. Um, so, a charm buffed orchid dove is actually um, kind of scary. Well, I don't know. I've been really big on beast tamer. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into beast tamer in a bit, but uh, apparently, I feel beast tamer is better than the meta at large and i find more often i'm i'm buffing the beast tamer to keep it around over the orchid dove well let's go ahead and talk about the beast tamer right now so you did you say you thought it was good in the current meta right now um i thought it was apparently i thought it was better than uh the player base at large um i ah, i see in in the uh the orc deck that i was playing that was another feature too and um a comment that Christian Pratt made while he was watching me play a game is, that Beast Tamer is real, especially when you get two of them on the field, then a Hammer Knight doesn't even take out a a, a Beast Tamer that's been charm buffed. Well, see, my opinion on Beast Tamer is that I, its stats are great. It's a 3-3-2 for what, for what it costs. It's got acceptable stats. Um, the Recover 2 is particularly nice. But... My my problem with it is that its ability to diminish, um, it's reactive rather than proactive. So the Orchid Dove is actively interfering with your opponent's plans because they have to spend mana. They have to match the mana that you invested in it. And Beast Tamer, you invest three mana, and it's like it's like a bill for more mana. Like you have to invest more into it because you played it. Uh, you're you're reacting to what's your what your opponent is doing by spending more mana. But if you have that orchid dove out there uh, to go along with it, then they're encouraged to attack with more things at once, which means they had to pay one to attack, and you pay one to reduce the impact of that attack. That's true. I, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying I I definitely think that orchid dove is better, and it's like it's hard to find card slots for allies nowadays. And it's, I think it's just outclassed. I think, I think, yeah, yeah allies. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I was just, I was just agreeing with Austin that, um, the problem is that the, the conjurations are obviously, in longer games, they're, they're just gonna be better than allies. Um, allies are about, you know, a burst of power. You get one beast tamer, and for the same card slot investment, which in a, in a game with such a small deck size is arguably your most valuable resource cards that you put in your deck, um, you get as many Orchid Doves as you want. I think another difficulty with the Beast Tamer that people might have been feeling is that the heavy charm cost is a little bit difficult to build a deck around. I think there's um, a belief in the community that charm and illusion have some of the hardest times building a deck that identifies a really strong win condition right off the bat. There's a lot more cards, seemingly, in Ceremonial in nature that directly advance a win condition, whether it's burn spells or powerful summons. I think it's a lot harder to 
pay for that heavy charm cost with the Beast Tamer and build a deck that also has enough charm cards to support a strong win condition. Yeah, it seems like we have two main colors, so to speak, and two support colors. Um, and I, I wish that weren't the case, and I hope that changes in the future. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it's, yeah, it's kind of a thematic thing. Um, it just feels like those schools are more of supportive schools in general, in terms of like what, what they try to do. They don't, and I think that's why it's set up that way, it's very thematic. <laughs> right, there will never be an illusion card that does direct damage to the face. Right. I hope. I mean, but <laughs> hey, look look at Matt's deck. That had five charm dice in it, and it got first. So it's, I think it's certainly coming around. I, I think in Leo particularly, and seeing now the power of Three-Eyed Owl go into play, I think there's a lot more reasons to play charm. Yeah, um, well, Matt, uh, Matt's deck was also Charm Illusion, or I'm sorry, Charm Ceremonial. Um, I don't think you would see a Charm Illusion deck win a tournament yet. Um, that certainly seems like the most difficult deck to build. I yeah constantly look back and uh, I think about that a lot. I think, what would a Charm Illusion deck's win condition be? And it just seems really hard to make it happen. It has to be Mill. Yeah, look back at Saria's base deck, the Charm and Illusion deck, and it was all about purge and abundance for the win. Right, it would have to be a combination of purge and abundance and and Glowfinch and maybe Remorse and, and things like that, just to run them out of cards and wall up behind Miss Spirits and Shadow Spirits and Orchid Doves and whatever. You miss out so much by not having Ceremonial, though. Having those Blood Puppets, having the Dread Wraith, having the Regress and the Blood Chains... There's so many, gr- and Final Cry, to even deal damage over the top. Chain of Revenge, if you have the spellboard for it. There's so much that Ceremonial can add to support that kind of deck that it doesn't solely rely on, let's get to the end of the game, I'm going to mill all your cards away and then slowly kill you with fatigue damage. Right. I might have mentioned last episode, I had been playing a 10 Illusion Dice Rin. I love that deck. Yeah, you you wall up behind Miss Spirits and... You shadow spirits, and then you just spam the abundance button until you win. And you've got iron workers and shifting mists, and you never have to meditate. And as soon as you draw your third abundance, you just stop drawing cards from abundance, and you just wait. And it like it's it takes too long to set up, and it's pretty vulnerable to burn strategies. So it's like it's definitely tier two, but it's a lot of fun to play. It's one of the most fun Ashes decks I've ever played. <laughs> Having fun with illusion dice isn't that antithetical to you? Uh, to you? Austin? <laughs> I never said the illusion dice were fun. I said the deck was fun. The Rin part of it is fun. So I, I haven't really explored Rin very much, because I immediately jumped on Team Black Cloud. Yeah, I really like Abundance as a card. I can't wait to see more of it in the future, hopefully. I think it's one of the coolest win conditions in the game, and definitely one of the most interesting thematic cards in the game. Oh yeah, killing people with Abundance is always... It feels really good. Oh yeah, six free damage around if you can get there. Not bad. Because like you just make them draw six cards, plus they have to meditate to play things because you're exhausting their dice, and they can only play half the cards in their hand anyways, and it, it's pretty cool. Heavy Exhaust is a really good support for Abundance-style decks because Abundance's downside is early on in the game you're giving them a bunch of cards so they can 
formulate the best plans with more cards in their hand. But if you hit them with a bunch of illusion dice powers, they're only going to be able to play so many of them that having all those extra options might not be as good as they thought. Right. And something I'm definitely thinking about revisiting for our casual Ashes play is uh, that deck, um, but with Ceremonial. I'm thinking maybe three Ceremonial, and you can play Blood Puppet, and you can play uh, Regress in there. Maybe Fire Archer, um, maybe Final Cry. So there's some cool options you can have, which I think will really... It'll it'll push it ahead quite a lot. I don't think it'll be Tier 1 ever, but... Regress and Final Cry make so much sense to me in that kind of deck. Oh, for sure, yeah. Just, if you get in... I found playing it that if you get in a good swing at any point with your Shadow Spirits, and if you can get in, like, four or six damage with Shadow Spirits one round, then that should be enough damage to push you over the edge. Because, like, your opponent is also doing over-the-top damage to you, and you can't stop all of it with Vanish. So what do you guys think about the cards that we thought were going to be good, but ended up either not performing or not seeing a whole lot of them? They're garbage, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe they just haven't seen their day. Just ask Cole. (laughs) That's a very good point. That's a very good point. You're just a Cole fanboy, Bob. And that's a problem, how? (laughs) We have some irreconcilable differences. Everyone's a little bit of a Cole fanboy inside. <laughs> uh, so one card that I thought was going to be everywhere is Vanish. And I really have not seen a lot of Vanish. In some decks I've seen it as a 1-of and a 2-of. I really haven't seen anyone running 3 of it. I understand that nobody wants to play that many Illusion Dice besides maybe Victoria. And it, Vanish has definitely changed the way I think about Molten Gold and, and Sympathy Pain, though, because... If, and this is, you know, not even a question if I've seen a Vanish, uh, if they've played one or on a Meditate or something. But if my opponent has the dice up to play Vanish, and, you know, they're playing a considerable amount of illusion where that might be a threat, I'll never Molten Gold their face unless, you know, the game depends on it. Because if I Molten Gold your face and you happen to have Vanish, then you traded two class dice for two two of my power dice. Um, so I've lost, and I've got, I've lost that trade, I mean. And I've gotten zero value out of this card in my hand. It also seems like, uh, currently, uh, Molten Gold seemed to go more and more towards units. Yeah, I love that play. Yeah, that really play. has been the trend lately. And I, like, I agree with that. I think it's good. And that was not my opinion when I first started getting serious about Ashes, but I've definitely changed that opinion that Molten Gold is a serious answer for Hammer Knight and Beast Tamer and other three life conjurations and allies uh allies especially in jessa because you want to save your fears for those conjurations um and if you if you spend your your molten gold on a unit you're basically guaranteed to get that value out of it where if you play it on their face you're risking getting no value out of this main action and this card in your hand and another way in which you lose that trade besides trading your power dice for their class dice is you spent a main action, and they spent nothing. So you effectively also have lost a turn. One thing I'm curious about Vanish... So Vanish also says that you can use it when your opponent would play something that targets your draw pile or your discard pile. I wonder what kind of abilities would have to be in the game 
to warrant using a vanish on something that targets your draw pile or discard pile. I guess you could vanish Saria, right? You could finish Hearthspool. In which case, she doesn't get to draw the card as well. Right. Does Hearthspool target? Does Vanish say something that targets your draw pile or something that just affects your draw pile? It It's targets. Targets. I'm going to look at the card right now. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it targets. And another thing with Saria, it says you may draw a card and then if you do, your opponent discards a card. So would Vanish stop Saria from drawing the card? Yeah. Oh, technically because Saria Because the card player. must have already been drawn. Right. Even if it were a viable target. Okay, so it is a target player. Uh, if you do choose a target player. Um, so you do have to choose that target before you uh, are, uh, perform the ability. So if you do draw a card, then the target player is the one you chose when you activated the ability, which means it can be vanished before the whole thing happens. Okay. Okay. So, so you can vanish it before I even draw a card because I had to choose the target. Yep. Good to know. So, can you? So, there's no card. Is there a card right now that targets draw pile beside? No, I don't know if there is. Yeah, like... there's um, purge. I forget what it is. The yes, no, I think that targets a player. Purge targets, I think purge player. targets a player. Yeah, vanish there's also the works when it targets a player though. Right. There's the Leo card that targets the draw pile, doesn't it? Where you look at the top five. Or does that target the player? Mind Probe says choose a target opponent to reveal the top five cards. Mind Probe, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think they all target players. Bob, what were you thinking when you worded this? Is there stuff coming that's going to target draw piles? It's really more of a wording to cover uh, any future contingencies. So uh, there might be an effect in the future that... Uh, that targets a draw pile don't know. The future's wide open. And uh, just wanted to make sure that anything that affected basically you, because, you know, Phoenixborn is your avatar, you're a player, the deck is kind of, you know, your inspiration. Just wanted to cover all the bases in case an effect required targeting a draw pile. Fair enough. Another card was Remorse. I thought I was going to see a lot of Remorse because it kind of fits nicely into those burn decks. But I really think this card is an anti-synergy with Sympathy Pain because if you think about it, they kind of trigger off of the same thing. And that is that a lot of the times when you're taking damage is going to be because you got attacked and Remorse you can play when you get attacked, but sometimes you want to let that damage through so you can play Sympathy Pain. I can't tell you how many times I've let a single damage through a chant of protection so that I could play Sympathy Pain. Well, I think uh, Remorse really does a different thing than uh, Sympathy Pain. When you're trying to wall up and let nothing through, Remorse will still hit the opponent, whereas Sympathy Pain, you have to take damage to use it. Well, if you have the Ceremonial Dice, which, as we've seen, pairs so well with Charm, you can always recur a Fire Archer to play Sympathy Pain, which is a great play. That's true, but uh, with Remorse, you aren't required to pair Charm with uh, Ceremonial. That's true, and it only costs one Charm as opposed to two Charm. It's a Charm and a Basic, so it's a lot more splashable. C's first version of his uh, Leo deck was running Remorse, um, and after we played a while, I kind of convinced him that it just um, it wasn't really worth running. 
because what happens is you end up drawing sympathy pains, redirects, and remorse. And the, because of the way that reactions work, you can't really redirect the same turn you're going to remorse, and you can't, if you want to use sympathy pain off of the attack instead of a, a recursion, you can't sympathy pain the same turn you remorse. So what we found was remorse was sitting in your hand a lot, because you were preferring to redirect to an exhausted finch, or referring to sympathy pain and deal damage to the, a unit or to the phoenix form. Right, that's that's really what I was getting at. Also, uh, remorse um, won't, uh, you know, snatch a defeat out of, or snatch a victory out of the jaws of defeat, because sympathy pain is in reaction, and that's why sympathy pain costs two as a, a two charm as opposed to a basic and a charm. Yeah, I think that's a really important difference between sympathy pain and remorse. Sympathy pain requires a lot more dedication to charm magic early on, and it's a lot more, it's much more able to be countered through illusion magic, removing charm options. You run out of time to play your sympathy pains a lot quicker than you could remorse. So that's one of my favorite things about remorse. I've been playing it in that Lulu burn deck I was talking about. I mean, your opponent's gonna attack eventually, even though I'm running regress and blood chains in the deck. They're eventually gonna attack if that's how they're trying to win, and remorse is just a much easier to play card, and it's advancing your win condition. It's not necessarily as efficient, because you're kind of paying for that extra mill effect, which you're not really using in a burn deck, but I think the ease of playing a card that's just one heart as opposed to the two hearts is really important. Another reason I like Sympathy Pain is because you can target units with it. Playing Sympathy Pain on a Hammer Knight or a Frostback Bear is a lot of times a good play. Especially mid-attack if they're attacking with two three-life units, and you take damage from one and then trigger Sympathy Pain on the second one before they get to finish resolving that attack. That can be really powerful. Uh, Are there any other cards that you guys thought would make a, a big impact in the meta and we really didn't see a lot of? I thought more people would be interested in trying out Shadowhound, but in a similar vein as some of the conversations we've had about Charm Magic already, it's really hard to dedicate that much illusion dice to a deck and still advance your win condition using those illusion dice. Shadowhound is a huge dedication to illusion, and I'm not sure how to build a deck right now that uses so much illusion dice to effectively win a game. Yeah, I think, uh, like, the the obvious combo that people put together in their precon deck is Body Inversion plus Shadowhound, and you end up with a 5-3. But I think Body Inversion was more there for Flash Archer um, to make it a 2-4, which is really strong with that ability, especially in a a pre-constructed-only environment. And it seems like Body Inversion is much better used on False Demons, anyways, to make them 4-1s. Yeah, and I mean, at that point, even though you're getting a huge attack value creature, cheap unit garters are everywhere, so it's not going to be really hard to nullify some of the big impact that you're going to go for that. Illusion is not great at making it so your attacks can get through for big damage. That's something that nature does really well, and ceremonial supports really well. Illusion just doesn't have the card pool to nullify your opponent's threats and make sure you're hitting in for big damage. So I'm gonna, um, based on these cards that you guys thought were gonna, that you listed here as um, having an impact, um, I, after playing with Finish and after playing with Remorse, I didn't think they were gonna be very big. Um, 
remorse for the reason we discussed and then vanished because the the um, magic dedication was so tight so that the two illusion class was difficult but what I did expect to see was a lot more beast tamer or a lot more amplify um, just because I think they're both great cards and I didn't really see either of those I think it again goes back to the the whole point that they was being made earlier about charms being it's being difficult to dedicate so much to charms and there's nothing more greedy than amplify <laughs> that's true so I was expecting Amplify Ravens, to be honest. Um, I was expecting at least one person to play Amplify Ravens in Saria, just because if you Amplify a Raven and you have Choke to protect it, um, that's a very difficult thing to deal with. And the only thing that stops a Hypno-Amplified Raven is Redirect. That's the only thing. That's true, and I don't think a ton of decks have been playing Redirect lately. I know the Leo decks were... And that that's a good consideration, but a lot of the decks running Bears and Hammer Knights now have kind of dropped Charm, stopped worrying about having Gilders in their decks, which means losing Redirect as well. It could be a good answer to that, or at least an interesting deck to go against them, the Hypno Ravens. Yeah, uh, I think Saria might be pretty good against uh, Leo, because I think Hypnotize is, is pretty decent against Leo. And then, of course, the Ravens can't be affected by regresses or blood chains. They they can't get their hypnotized choked either. Right. It's tough to get around that those redirects, though. And I, there's a, a us playtesters know there's a particular divine card that's going to really help with the hypnotized plan. I think, but those aren't going to be out for. Quite I know a what while. you're talking about. I saw the previous there. I, just... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I, was, I thought Eric knew what it was even. I adore that card. <laughs> Even the people that were shouting it down through most of Playtest are really coming around to to this particular card, too. It's going to be an annoying card for sure. Oh, it's going to yeah. be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, some old favorites that we've seen some, some things changing in the meta. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot more Owls and a lot more Regress. I think that an Owl deck perhaps has always been semi-viable tier 1.5 or tier 2 but and like the the old idea was oh obviously running in daimona which turns out was really bad <laughs> owls in regress they've existed for a while but was it leo and glowfinch that really put them over the top to make them such a top tier deck i'm certain it was i think it's gotta be ev right. ev had a uh change had a big play in that too yeah, I agree with that. I think the biggest thing that made Leo kind of come out of nowhere was Leo and Glowfinch and all that were playtested for a long time in an environment where Enchanted Violinist existed. And so, like, you could use Glowfinch to stop one wound token from EV and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pretty easy to remove the Glowfinch with Enchanted Violinist and ping damage and all sorts of things. But now that Enchanted Violinist is gone, you can't mow down your opponent's battlefield nearly as easily. And so battlefields are tending to stick around, uh, especially weenies like owls. Yep, yep. That's why owls are... Between Finch and the, the Violinist loss, it's, it's rough to deal with those owls. So, Eric, what happened to BDR? Where did it go? I expected it to be everywhere. I thought that... Um, Especially decks with the natural ceremonial 
illusion spread. We're going to not necessarily just in Rin, but with the Stormwind snipers and the hidden powers. And I thought that was going to be everywhere. And really, we haven't seen a lot of that recently. Yeah, uh, like I said, I was I was playing a lot of Rin and modified BDR um, prior to the tournament. And um, I mean, it did it performed well. The biggest problem with it was um, it, it was really that against that matchup, that Leo matchup, it was rough. Um, Regress stops the Hammer Knights pretty hard, uh, and Finch stops Hammer Knights really hard too. Uh, part of the value of BDR uh, using Hammer Knights is that you could swing and essentially take out two units. Rain's gonna have uh, Fury to bring back more dice, so if you swing with the Hammer Knight, hit something, aftershock something else, frog ping. And then you're going to get the, the die back for that frog ping with Fury. Um, you wiped out two units on the board, which left you in a strong position to swing again the next round. Uh, Finch just stops you completely. It stops the Hammer Knight cold. Um, it'll block the Hammer Knight, and then it'll decoy the Aftershock. Um, so when I was playing it, I was just like, wow, I, I can't really, with this BDR deck, I can't really uh, get attacks in on Leo. And the fact that I'm trying to meditate so much means that I'm milling myself faster um, on top of the owls and all that. So that's kind of why... I don't I don't think I'll, we'll be seeing a lot of Rin, to be honest, um, with this new ex- set, this new expansion, just because the that extra those extra dice, um, I, I wasn't really finding a lot of uses for those extra dice. Um, before, I would use them for pings or for um, exhaustion, but the problem is with things like owls and doves being very cheap and finch being so cheap, having to meditate to get the power symbols so that you can use them to ping or that you can use them to exhaust, you end up losing the trade. And that's kind of why I haven't been playing... I didn't play Rin at Gen Con, and that's why I'm probably not going to be playing Rin um, until the next expansion comes out. That was a really thorough description. I think it makes a lot of sense. You also mentioned a really interesting rules trick with the Glowfinch against a Hammer Knight. You can have the Glowfinch block the Hammer Knight, and of course it's going to die, but since abilities can trigger when damage is dealt, but before the unit being destroyed, the Glowfinch can decoy that Aftershock, giving it a little bit of extra value before it goes away. Yeah. That's definitely a next level play. I guess I forgot to mention too with Rin, another big hit to Rin was uh, the Violinus nerf. Because again, when you have a lot of extra dice with Fury, you're rolling those dice, you're going to get basics, you're going to have to meditate. Violinus lets you get extra value from those meditations, because I could, okay, I roll five dice, I meditate three of them, and I can spend two of them as basics to do pings. Or I could meditate two of them and spend two as basics for ping. Um, so I didn't have to meditate all five of those dice if they all came up basics. Um, with the loss of Violinus, uh, well, the loss of being able to trigger your own Violinist, um, on demand, it, it also hurt Rin quite a bit. So what was up with the lack of Jessa in the top eight? Do we think it was Leo that made it so difficult for Jessa to get into the top? It was definitely a tough matchup. I mean, I I lost one game all weekend, and it was to the guy that won the tournament. And <laughs> so Eric and I ended up ninth and 10th. It, it is a rough matchup for that deck, and I, I think the Dispel helps a little bit. And I, I think pivoting to Chan Revenge helps a lot. Yeah. Um, it's it's still tough. I think old school Jessa from um from main set where you're going to those chants and those guilders can do a lot of work against 
with his Leo decks. I miss that deck a lot. Gilder is some serious tech against the Owls, because it gives you a two-life unit to Blood Chains. Bob and I used to argue back and forth all the time about whether Enchanted Violinist or Gilder was the best card in the game. It's got to be Gilder now, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Or is it Owl? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I think uh, you also expressed that uh, when you sat down to play against Matt, um, you hadn't really seen very much of that style of Leo, and that uh, forced you to just select a poor first five. Yeah, I had never seen that before, and I expected something totally different than what I got. And so I effectively had a first three, because I first fived a Molten Gold to kill the Beast Tamer, because that's the right play against a three-life high-impact ally. And I... What else did I do? You feared the Owl? Yeah, I played the Fear on the Owl because he had first five to summon Dreadwraith, and I counted his Conjuration Pile, and I don't remember how many he had, but I didn't... Like, Dreadwraith didn't even cross my mind. Um, and especially not something he would play against Jessa because he knew I was packing Fear. And so I, I made a huge mistake there, and then there was a Dreadwraith sitting around that I couldn't Fear. And then in the first round, I meditated my second fear and my second and third molten golds away and the the game was over then yeah ashes is i mean i do love i love the first five mechanism in ashes and and part of that is if you get um if you make a big mistake round one that i mean that can be over um so like if you are expecting something and something else comes up and you're just not ready for it then it's really hard to gain momentum back Right, Matt talked about last episode in one of his games against C in the cut that the combination of his greatest mistake and C's greatest play was um, he had first five to regress and C did not first five a Hammer Knight. And that was enormous, and he ended up losing that game. Right. I do want to point out, though, that uh, in the second uh, tournament that fed the top eight, Jessa did finish fifth and sixth. So uh, she still had a presence, just not quite, uh, you know, the top cut. Most definitely. I don't think Jessadex were prepared to go up against Blood Puppets and Owls at the level that she did. Blood Puppets are one of the most frustrating cards to be given to you as a Jessa player. You don't want to be spending those resources clearing away your own Blood Puppets. You want to be using that for scream damage. You can't even fear him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could. And and you, you know, I don't think that this lack of Jessa is a bad thing. I think this is a good thing, actually, that it's not so ubiquitous as it used to be, where you saw at Tulsa at Ashes Weekend, that, and I'd be curious to see the actual numbers from Gen Con, uh, the breakdown of the Phoenix board. I don't know if those have been posted or not, but at Tulsa, there was... A bunch of Ren and a bunch of Brennan, because everyone was excited to play those. And there was an equal number of Jessa. And then there was, like, one, twos, and threes of everything else, if any. I think there was, like, one Soraya, and there were no Mayones, and, you know. So, and I think it's a good thing to not see a third of the field playing Jessa. Because that just, to me, that hammers home the same point that I made after Tulsa, which is that... It seems like any good player can take 
more or less any deck because there are so many viable archetypes it seems like and succeed with it and i think that's a really good thing and it speaks to the balance of the game and the efforts of the design team and the playtesting team and you guys are a big part of it too um you know without collecting the the data from playtesters and you know the the really good comp- competitive players uh you know it's just a a pretty insular think tank you know we need that that outside opinion to and and seeing the results in order to you know make informed decisions so some deck ideas that uh have been rattling around in our brains that might have potential might have legs that we haven't really played around with yet and i one i mentioned earlier was uh not my idea it was uh christopher pratt's idea he he came up to me at gen con and he said Here's your first five. Make make the deck, and I haven't yet, but um, I I like the idea. I don't know how viable it is, but it it sounds fun. So you play Leo, and you have a Glowfinch, and you have open memories, small sacrifice, blood chains, and whatever else. So you play your small sacrifice, and you summon your Glowfinch, and you like you regress their Hammer Knight or whatever big thing their bear, whatever they start with. And then, like, you can start maybe a Hammer Knight or something. You can start a threat, and then you can use your Glowfinch to to decoy that and then Blood Chains it. Or you can just use Small Sacrifice to exhaust your Glowfinch and exhaust whatever thing it is that they play. And then um, you can Blood Chains your Glowfinch and then exhaust something else twice. And the idea is you can just kind of use this first five to exhaust everything on their battlefield which like it sounds fun but i don't know uh like i said earlier i don't know how viable it is because i don't know what happens in round two when you know that unit gets on exhausted and the idea is that you get a glowfinch every round but troke throws a serious wrench into this plan the biggest problem with using exhaustion of units as one of your main strategies in the deck is you have to be able to convert that into a win condition. So are you going to exhaust all their blockers so you can hit him for big damage, or are you going to exhaust them to stall out the potential of them dealing damage to you and hit them with fatigue damage? It isn't a win condition in itself. Right, and it's, it's generally anti-synergy with regress. This is true as well. I like I want to make some decks with this idea and and tune them and see if I can come up with something playable because I like I I like the idea of small sacrifice and glowfinch. So what would the spellboard be? Obviously you got small sacrifice. Who needs a spellboard? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I really haven't thought about it much. Yeah. Um and the other deck that's really been rattling around, I guess there's there's a couple. Um Nick, did you have? Yeah. So, I've been talking about this Lulu deck I've been playing a lot, and I've been thinking about subbing out my one owl spell for one memory theft, just because I think the card is super cool. I I think memory theft has a huge skill cap, because you have to be able to make use out of what you see in your opponent's hand, and then choose which card you want to target with the effect to get the most value out of it as well. So do you target something that they can play that they want to play, or do you target something that they can't play, 
or do you just target anything and hope they take the damage instead? I think it's a really fun way to play Ashes. It does something we've never seen before, and it also does damage. So that's the next card I'm trying. Damage is pretty good, I hear. Yeah, Ooh, I like, I like wounds. Even better. Oh, Even better. Wounds. While Eric was uh, still streaming his his games before the intense testing for uh, Gen Con, uh, he was playing quite a bit of Memory Theft with Illusion Dice, and that was really fun to watch. Yeah, if you can if you can remember what's in their hand, because you're not allowed to take notes during the games, you can't just write down what's in their hand. Um, if you can remember all the cards that are in their hands, then, uh, and you can kind of lock them because you can if you look at their hand, you can see exactly how the rest of their round is going to play out uh, or at least how they want and that gives you a huge advantage when you're messing around with illusion dice because then you can instead of trying to guess at and piece together what they're going to be doing for the round you have perfect knowledge of what's going to be happening yeah it's fun to play it wasn't fun to play against (laughs) 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 I like memory theft a lot too that's how you know it's good yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'll play like Ashes at you, and you can watch. Yeah, exactly. So, for Memory Theft, um, I kind of like the way that Tim Keith, because he, he played Memory Theft in his Airedale deck that he went to the top eight with at Gen Con, and I kind of liked the way he was using it. He was using it to just um, look at their hand and see if they had the Ice Trap to know if he could put out the Jaguar. Um, I kind of like that idea a lot with someone like um, Auric, where you could say, okay, well, I'm gonna, cause if you, if you try to use bounty on Auric and they choke you, you lost two dice, uh, which is rough. But if you memory theft first and say, do they have the choke? No, now I can bounty. Or if they do have the choke, well, now you say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother using bounty then. Um, or I'll pressure you with an owl. So you're gonna get this, force them, you get the wound, or you discard a card, and then you either have to hold on to that choke, or, um, or the owl's gonna get you, or or whatever, and just kind of put them in an awkward position to to keep that choke against you. And I like that idea a lot. I also like the idea of memory theft on um, with Brennan for the same reason. Uh, with Brennan, with you're expecting to be able to spirit burn, and you can't. You, you lost a die. You lost that side action. And now, if you memory theft, um, you can kind of see if they have that choke, and you can adjust your play accordingly. Um, again, I think Brennan's a got a spellboard of three though. That's, yeah, yeah. I know that's the caveat with Brennan there. Um, coupling with Owls, I think Memory Theft also works really well. Because you can kind of hold that Owl, Memory Theft them, and then put that Owl out and say, okay, that choke's gone. I'm going to Bounty, or I'm going to Spirit Burn, or Water Blast, or whatever. Yeah, I agree with almost all of that assessment, except for the bit about Brennan. <laughs> and, and being the Ashtray Podcast resident Brennan expert... <laughs> uh, in in my experience uh with spirit burn you just say f it and go spirit burn and who cares if they have choke and you you get to spirit burn before you pick the target as far as i'm aware so is that right bob um you get to you get to announce spirit burn and then they have to choose whether or not to choke it uh you have to choose the target of the Wait a second. When you would use, um, welcome to our segment called Stump Bob. Um, no, I'm. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
No, I just got to think about this one it, for a second. Well, it says destroy a unit you control. If you do, you may deal two damage to a target unit of Phoenixborn. So right when you're the target. Okay, so uh, when you're using it, you still pay the costs, and you have to uh, choose targets immediately after the costs, but before using the effect of the ability. So you would have to choose what they're targeting and pay the cost, and then they could choke it. Okay. Or choose not to choke it. So another deck idea that I've been rattling around, and it's not really a deck idea, it's uh, just like a, a card synergy is Secret Door and Sympathy Pain I think might have legs and perhaps with Final Cry um, I don't know how viable that's going to be in, in three colors but it gets back to that, that Charm Illusion is is really rough to play without Ceremonial or Natural backing you up and I, I think Secret Door really hasn't been explored a lot and obviously drawing cards is good but it, it'll really shine like sometimes if you're able to get that sympathy pain back and you can have six sympathy pains in your deck as opposed to three that could decide a game right there secret door seems really awkward to play because it's like empower where you're investing two dice and it really doesn't do much um in the meantime and for the most part you can't really trigger it whenever you want to and it'll clog up your your spell board so it it could be awkward but there could be a pretty fun deck in there I don't think it's as bad as Empower, because Empower, you kind of have to focus it for it to be valuable. Oh, Empower is about to be real good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I almost got wrecked by Empower earlier. It's madness. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I, I like, so what I like Secret Door with is, um, I kind of want to do Secret Door with Widows, because I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's just like all the spiders come out at you. <laughs> it's it's your summon sleeping widows ready spell we've always wanted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so like on your turn, you go spirit burn, summon sleeping widows, you know, whatever. Maybe attack with them, and then uh, your opponent kills one in their turn, and you're like, surprise, more sleeping widows, but not really a surprise because you saw it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You could also like frog ping your own one of your own widows, and then bring out more widows and swing again sort of thing yeah like my spiders have spiders have spiders or just hold the widows for next round and be like hey next round i'm gonna spirit burn <laughs> more widows are coming i think there's a lot of potential for secret door to function as a nice draw engine with particle shield in victoria where you have so many more dice than your opponent through her ability and illusionary cycle if you choose to run it being able to just constantly cycle that particle shield and maintain a strong board presence could be really fun. And you can draw into the cards that you need, or you just draw into more illusionary cycles and particle shields. We can just wait until sympathy cards come out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's something else to bring up, too. Um, Tim uh, Keefe also included a uh, particle shield in his deck. And I heard several. Tim Keefe doesn't play with card sleeves, so I don't know if I can trust any decision that he makes, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a lot of his opponents uh, were saying that Particle Shield was key to a lot of his victories. It was really doing work for him. Yeah, being able to stop Nature Ceremonial's initiative and in saying, basically, I get to decide what stays on your board and what doesn't. Particle Shield is a big disruption whenever that happens. If you're trying to ping away a blocker or get something into range from any other type of damage you have, being able to stop just one damage can be... Enough to really stop that tempo. 
And so often it happens that, you know, you think through your round and you say, okay, I have this much ping damage to spend and this is how I'm going to spend it. And like, sometimes you only have exactly three damage to kill a hammer knight. Like you have a natural power and you have a final cry and that's like, what's going to get rid of the bearer or the hammer knight. And if they can prevent just one of that damage, it throws a huge wrench in your plans and, and screws up everything and hammer knight has recover and you're back to square one, you know? As long as they have dice, it's playable. At only one basic cost, it's really hard to play around, and you have no idea when they're going to have it. And if you combo that with Secret Door, even after they play it, they might have another one. Well, can you Secret Door? I don't think you can use Secret Door with Particle Shield because it goes back into your... But you, you can draw a card. Right, right. You can, yeah, you can't actually put it back in your hand because it, it resolves fully and it shuffles back in your deck and then it's not in your discard pile to put back in your hand. Right. I wish it were a May ability. Bob, give us more choices. <laughs> <laughs> I use Particle Shield quite a bit during the um, the draft games with with spiders, oh, protecting spiders. Protect is like my favorite draft card right now. Really? Yeah, I I love Protect in draft because it's much more difficult for people to deal with units. Um. So having something that prevents... Because the way they're going to deal with them, for the most part, is going to be damage. And that damage is going to be um, a little harder to get because you were drafting cards, and so you didn't get everything you wanted. So if you can uh, stop three of that damage, it's usually a huge pain. So a couple months ago when we had that Koloff in Toledo, if you don't know what a Koloff is, it is the best format of Ashes. Everybody plays Cole Rookwin. You play in multiplayer pods of three plus. You can play as many players as you want. And in between every round, everybody gets 30 random cards. So not random playsets, but just random cards. And then 10 random dice. And the idea is you just slash cards that you don't need. And it's a ton of fun. And people play it on TTS all the time. And every round of the Koloff, I got Protect. <laughs> so I was like first fiving Protect every game. Especially if you get, like, some good uh, units, like if you get a Hammer Knight or if you get a Frostback Bear uh, that you can put in your first five, and then you can keep it out with the Protect, because like you said, in Draft, and even harder in the Koloff, it's it's hard to get rid of units because you can't build a deck around getting rid of units. I mean, that's something that's so cool about Draft, is it completely causes uh, um, different evaluations for cards. I believe Eric, in fact, won a draft at Gen Con, didn't you? Yeah, I won the the morning draft. Um, the thing we had thirty six. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I the new format is fantastic. You guys did a great job um, modifying those rules for competitive play. I think it's, I think it's, like, pretty much perfect. Yeah, I've only played one game against you, Eric, and it was at Tulsa. We played a draft game, and. I think you you drafted a, a much, much, much better deck than I did. I was playing like four colors Soraya or something, and you had Rin with good stuff. And Yikes. <laughs> Bears. <laughs> you beat me bear. pretty handily, and then Bob congratulated me that I managed to last so long. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. It was like a constructed deck. Yeah, yeah, Open Memories, Bears. Uh, I kind of drafted that pretty early we, during the draft, and I was like, okay, my deck's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is playing for second place. <laughs> I actually lost because I played against um, 
a deck that had regresses. And my deck did not, the deck I drafted had no way to get rid of my own units. So, um, my bears got regress. They only have four of them. So I was kind of stuck. Um, during that draft, actually. That was the only, I think that was the only game I lost, um, at Tulsa, uh, during the whole event was that, that draft game I played against, um, Keelan, I believe. But, and his deck was just, uh, he drafted like a Brennan with Fire Archers and Regress and False Demons. And so he was just trying to wall and chance, I think. He's trying to wall and just throw heat. And so, um, when my bears got regressed, I was like, crap, I have no way to kill my bears. <laughs> so I would get in awkward situations where I have four bears out, two are regressed, and I want to play more bears, but I can't. Coming up towards the end here, uh, Enchanted Violinist has been changed, obviously. Do we think it's still playable? Sure. Yeah. I, I think it has, I think it still has a little bit of value, but I don't think it's going to be an automatic include. I think it has a lot of value in illusion decks because you're forcing your opponent to meditate because you're removing the best of their dice options. And I think it has a lot of value in Soraya. Let's not forget about Leo. Uh, Glowfinch's uh, last uh, last request. Is that what it's called? I don't know. You tell uh. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's last request. I mean, C played um, Violinist in his deck. He got second place at Gen Con. He, he ran only one copy, and his Violinist was um, the answer to other players' owls, as well as just, I mean, for one basic die, it's a, it's a one-two body, and in a stall deck, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, on other media, he did say that uh, he felt playing it against... Uh... Uh, Matt's deck was was wrong. That he was too fo- uh, fixated on um, playing Enchanted Violinist and keeping it in play, and that uh, really he should have just done more owls. Yeah. Yeah, I think the nerf is in a great place right now. I mean, it puts the violinist in the sweet spot of des- of design space where it says this card can be really good if you're going for a certain thing, but it's no longer an ubiquitous. Con- inclusion into decks so how has this new meta and these new cards changed the way fundamentally that you build decks so one of the biggest considerations for me is i've been experimenting with more chokes and ice traps in my deck just because glowfinch and three-eyed owl have become really really good cards i'm wondering if I'm doing this in my Jessa deck. I'm wondering if having the increased chokes and ice traps will be a good thing, or if those cards are still just too low impact enough, and you'd just rather draw into something a little bit more powerful. Well, like Eric had mentioned earlier, I mean, choke and ice trap are not ideal solutions to Glowfinch, especially in the first five, because then you're stuck with the first four. They still have five cards in a blank Phoenix Boron, but that's still better because they have five cards and you only have four. I don't know if Choke is high impact enough anymore. Um, like I, I certainly thought, I certainly thought that that Stormwind Sniper and things like that were going to be everywhere. But there's like no Stormwind Sniper, which in my opinion is probably the best Choke target. Oh yeah, that gets played regularly. Just preventing two damage for one die is is huge. It's a chain of protection that isn't awkward. Yeah. Their yeah. value on that Stormwind goes to to crap. Yeah, they spent three three dice for that. And and choke and ice trap ice trap particularly isn't really a great option to owl because you still 
discarded the card, which in the end was the the goal, you know? At least in Jessa, though, it becomes a Screams target, which is why I favor Ice Trap a little bit more in Jessa decks than I would in any other type of deck. For me to run Ice Trap in a non-Jessa deck, I would really have to be focused on hitting with big units like Bears and Hammer Knights in, in a very tempo way, so them trying to put out a blocker, me preventing that, and then being able to get my attack through, that would have to be critical to my strategy. Well, I think another thing that Ice Trap does for the Owl is it also reduces their board presence uh, for any Phoenixborn. So yeah, you discarded the card, but at least you uh, cleared out their board a bit. Right, and and they don't have one to to throw at you next round. But the thing is that Leo with a, a focused Summon 3 at Owl or Summon Orca Dove or whatever it is that you're Ice Trapping can pump them out just as fast as you can destroy them. So unless you're playing a coal-type deck where you have 100 Blades and Mist Typhoon and Slash um, where you can wipe out their whole board at once, they're really just going to fill it up as quick as you destroy it. Gotta go fast. Yeah, it's uh, it still <laughs> didn't work out too well. I mean, we, we played that coal deck because we thought it would do well against Leo, and man, it's, it's still rough when you only have 300 Blades and uh, 3... Uh, Miss Typhoon, so um, those books are going to pump can't pump out more than, than three times, so it's still rough. It's still a little rough. Again, there's a certain, Again, there's a certain Divine card. <laughs> 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 and certainly Anchornaut is seeing a lot more plays, kind of becoming the new Enchanted yeah. Violinist, because you can recur him for free and just keep discarding him and throwing him in the trash to the owls. Yeah, being able to convert any goat die that you roll into one less card you have to discard, one less damage you're taking when you go into fatigue damage. I think it's a really cool function. I've already slotted in one anchor knot into my Jessa deck, and I think it's just right. So Papa Pratt was saying how uh, he thinks a good a good tech option against owl decks is to run Shifting Mist, Ceremonial Dice, and Anchor Knot. Um, the idea being that Shifting Mist with Anchor Knot gives you two extra cards in hand to feed to Owl, so it kind of negates two Owls. That is really efficient. What's so fascinating to me about that, though, is that it's the answer to, uh, you know, the the Owl decks, so that uh, you can, again, put put out... Uh, or you, you can afford to play Shifting Mist against Owl decks because they're not putting a ton of pressure on you. But then you have the rise of the Super Pressure decks like your Cole and... Uh, a BDR-like deck, but obviously different as the meta's changed, where, um, you know, it be, it, you get a Paper, Rock, Scissors again, only more archetypes. Yeah, so about that, um, I'm kind of toying with this idea. I don't know if I want to... We've, we've been toying around this idea a little bit, actually, um, in, the, in the dojo. And, um, I mean, Matt kind of showed us that you can run more spellboard cards than... Um, your Phoenix Born can handle and just adjust based on the matchup um, using singletons. So I kind of want to test like that idea to the extreme. What if you had uh, 10 spellboard cards, single t- a bunch of singletons mixed in, and you just adjust based off a of matchup? Um, or you play a really silly fun deck like uh, like Austin's 29 allies and one, one root armor deck. So if you do 29 spellboards and uh, one open memories. 
Drake, who's a, a player in Toledo, has been playing a five-book coal deck. And he just, he plays a bunch of, he plays more ready spells than he has. He's kind of been doing that. And he just, like, when he starts the game, he'll just pick five ready spells, and that's his first five. Then, like, his first round kind of sucks, because, like, you hit him with a hammer knight or a bear. Um, you know, because he doesn't have an immediate response to it unless he goes first. But then he just, he fills up his battlefield every single round, and he can just pump out high-value allies, or high-value units, I mean, high-value conjurations, um, every single round without limit, because he has five books, and then he's focusing them or just slashing the ones he doesn't need or doesn't have room for, and yeah, he'll summon something and then meditate the summon away and just play another one. That's part of the fun of that deck, it could be like you could put the book down, use it, meditate it away, put another book down, use it, you can slash with Cole. (laughs) I need to update that 29 allies and one road armor deck. Drop the charm dice and put in some flash archers. Flash archers are cool, man. I, I want to play them. Um, they're expensive. I would want to play them in Rin just because that ice buff is puts that at three life. It gives you more value. Man, it sucks when it gets ice trapped. Another use for memory theft. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have and ice And yet trap? another divine card Oh yeah, that's upcoming. Two divine cards that make them much more possible. Note to self, in the future, play Divine. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it looks pretty good. I'm excited for um, Sympathy also. Sympathy's almost my new favorite. So, one more thing we can talk about are some of our favorite cards from the expansion in terms of the flavor and of the artwork and just some of the functions that they bring to the Game of Ashes now and how they develop the world. So some of my favorites are certainly Memory Theft and Function. I've already kind of gushed about this card, but I think it's so cool being able to see the opponent's hand and the high skill cap that it takes to use that information to the best of your ability. Super, super cool. Uh, Eric, what's one of your favorite cards in terms of Function? Shadow Spirit. Probably my favorite card from the expansion. Um, just I really enjoy... That just aggressive unit that is going in, is blowing up, it's being a nuisance, and it's an illusion, which is uh, my favorite um, school. Um, so yeah, Shadow Spirit. I I'd also agree with you that Memory Theft is super interesting to me, and that's also another card I really, really like. Excellent. What about you, Bob? Well, I really like uh, function the function of Secret Door. Um, I think that it's another high skill cap card. And I also think that uh, even games later, you won't be able to figure if you made the right play with uh, with Secret Door. It's it's so modular. Yeah, I'm excited throwing that idea out in the podcast that people will play around with Secret Door decks, and I'm really excited to see if anyone comes up with anything cool. Send us your Secret Door decks. <laughs> How about you, Austin? What's your favorite new function in Ashes from the new sets? It's not a new function, but my favorite card is definitely Flash Archer. I I just think it's it's really cool. I like the the side action, just do two damage to to two things really quick. Um, it's crazy good in Demona, uh, but that's not saying much because Demona ain't that great. But. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, Bob, flavor question for you. I don't know if you know this or not. When because she's got the the artwork's really cool. She's got this like glowing pink light arrow thing going on. It looks like it has like a shield in front of it. 
Does the arrow split in half when she fires it and hit two targets, or does she just fire two arrows really quick because she's a good archer? Um, I'm not sure. You need to, like, you're emailing Isaac right now on your phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to let him sleep. I'll e- email him tomorrow. Oh, he's an hour behind us. He's probably still up. <laughs> Art-wise, I definitely like Auric. Auric has, right now, I think the coolest artwork of any of the Phoenix Born. Uh, except there's a promo Phoenix Born coming up that I've seen, whose name starts with the T, who's really cool, who has my favorite artwork in Ashes. Yeah, Auric's art is certainly really aesthetically pleasing. I like the different color magic orbs, whatever those are. His tattoo matches the symbol on his chest um, and the pauldron on his shoulder, which is really cool. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Eric, what's your favorite art or flavor that comes from these new expansions? Um, it's probably the glow finch because when like your opponent puts it on the table and then you pick it up and you look at it and then you tear it up into tiny little pieces, it makes great confetti. <laughs> 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 It puts the glowfinch on its skin. <laughs> um, I guess more seriously, um, that's a tough question. Think about it too much. You gotta love the abs. You gotta love Leo's abs, man. I mean, that's that's something you gotta respect. It brings it brings fear. Based off of all the other cards, um, I probably would say that I I I kind of really like. Um, the art on Illusionary Cycle and the art on Amplify. I like those glow effects that um, they're able to put in there. Uh, it just really makes the cards pop. Most definitely. I think they look really cool. And all the artwork in this game is incredible. Yeah, I mean, the the uh, Amplify art is, is certainly mind-blowing, but uh, my vote has to go to Orchid Dove. When I first saw that, I w- my jaw dropped. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely really cool. Uh, I really like the artwork on Two Shadows as well. That's my favorite one. I think it's so cool. First of all, Hammer Knight is one of my favorite cards in the game. But I think it's just a really interesting moment in time seeing the Hammer Knights just start to dissolve. And she's very sad. And there's really nothing else going around. I think it's so cool. And it it's very contrasting to the rest of, especially Victoria's deck, where it's just like purple and pink explosions everywhere. It's just gray and white, and she's just disappearing. It's kind of representative of the meta as well. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Isaac is really like the next level, next level Ashes player. That just broke my heart. I mean, Cameron is my favorite (laughs) card. I'm like, yeah, I feel like, ugh, can't play you. (laughs) I bet there's an awesome story behind that, too. Um, Like Fade Away, I didn't realize the story behind the artwork in Fade Away until um, Austin... Or not Austin, sorry, Isaac talked about it on one yeah, of those. Yes, I made ashes. Yes, uh, <laughs> Austin, tell us about the story. Um, so there's probably a really cool story behind this one too. I hope so. So you can look for Leo and Vicky in stores soon. They'll probably be out around mid-September, according to Bob. If they're not, you can personally write an angry letter to Bob, and. uh you can like our Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash ashtraypodcast. At 100 likes and at 150 likes, we're going to give away to a random person who has liked the page an Altart Brennan and an Altart Rin, um, signed by Bob, Fernanda, and Isaac in Tulsa. And we will ship it to you for free. 
the first one at 100 likes will get their choice, and then whichever one is left, whoever we pick at 150 likes will get the other one. Be sure to listen to the Main Action Podcast. They're another great group of guys talking about all sorts of Ashes stuff. Also, be sure to submit your games on PlayPlat. It really helps the design team learn more about what's going on and all the games that aren't at high-level events or in playtesting. So we really need your help with that. Also, you can apply to be a playtester because applications are always open and they periodically add more playtesters. Isn't that right, Bob? Yep. Cool. Always looking for more. Yeah, please do this if you want to help the game. Ashes is always desperately in need of playtesters. We want to make this game as great as we can. Yeah, I got to play Echo today, and I watched Bob play Jericho, and wow, they're really cool. Also, you can check out the Ashes Online Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash group slash Ashes Online. That's the main hub of communication for all things Ashes. You can also check out strangecopy.com. That's a blog site run by Brendan Miller. He's got all sorts of articles and content and tournament reports and deck lists. Another great resource for Ashes. Also on Strange Copy, you can check out Jason Perry's Flash Fiction articles. That's a fan-made story segment about Ashes. So catch up on your Flash Fiction stories. You can send us your decks. We'll play them. We'll critique them. We'll talk about them on the show. Uh, especially if you got a secret door deck or, or one of the, the cool ideas that we mentioned. Uh, make them, send them to us. Um, send us your questions, hopefully Ashes-related questions. We'll answer them to the best of our abilities. Um, you can email us all the time at ashtraypodcast at gmail.com, or you can PM the Facebook page. And next episode, uh, there's going to be some big Ashes announcements coming from us, so stay tuned if you are looking for a more interesting way to earn your Beat Bob badge. And again, thank you so much, Eric. Thank you so much, Bob, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And I uh, just want to point out that emailing me about uh, stuff not being in stores won't really do anything. I don't have anything <laughs> to do with distribution. Email Colin Flores. Bug him a lot. Just, like, constantly just send him messages nonstop. <laughs> I don't know his email for sure, but I'm going to go on a limb and say it's probably Colin at platthatgames.com. <laughs> so, yeah, you can send all of your spam there. Any complaint? Not, not even complaints about ashes. Just any complaints in general. Not even about plaid hat. Just about yeah, life. All those emails <laughs> that you're getting spammed to your inbox from a service that you don't remember <laughs> signing up for seven years ago. You can just forward all of those <laughs> to Colin at platthatgames.com, <laughs> and you can CC Bob at platthatgames.com. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, everyone. That's it. I think. All right. Take it easy.